so does everyone here have triple A? Triple A users. I have triple A. I don't think I've ever used it in like an emergency situation. Um, so I've never, at least not that I recall, I've never been in that situation where uh, somebody, you know, you see them on the side of the road, they, 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 you're on the freeway, and they've, they're in the middle of the, you know, between the dividers, and, and they're just looking, there's smoke coming out of the, the, uh, the car, and they're worried. That's, I've never had that, but I have been stuck once in a car, um, and it's the reason that I'm going to keep up with my AAA premiums. Um, and that was when I was living in Japan, I... Uh, maybe like September, October of the first year I was there, I had uh, gone to um, a restaurant. There's only one restaurant in my area that had uh, free refills on drinks. And so I went there. It's called Skylark. 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 And uh, I went there, and, and I'd spent probably two or three hours just like just downing free refills. It was really going to make it worth my while uh, listening to uh, music on my uh, portable CD player. Um, and... Uh, and so by the time I left, it, it had started raining, and it was really, um, it was really dark. Uh, at that time of the year, there was very little sunlight where I was. And so it was very dark, and I was driving. And I was driving through a, um, a rice field. I was living in, in kind of a rural area. And something happened. I'm not exactly sure what. It, maybe I just, didn't, I just couldn't see very well or whatever. But basically, on the sides of the roads in Japan near rice fields, there's these really deep ditches. Uh, where the water runs through and floods the rice fields. And I had gotten too far to the side of the road, and I beached my car, like, on, to- on, like, uh, on the, the ridge of the, of the dip on the side. And so two of my wheels were hanging in nothingness. Uh, the other two were kind of on the road, and then the bottom of my car was, was uh, beached on the, the, the angle of this, this, um, this ditch. And... I was just, it was one of those moments where I was like, ah, because I mean, at the time I didn't really speak any of the language or very little of it, and I didn't really know anyone, um, and so I called the one person I, kn- I knew, my, my boss, this is about 10.30 at night, Machida-san, and I called him, and I told him the situation, and he said, okay, okay, okay. So I waited there for about 20 minutes in the rain, and uh, suddenly a, um, a tow truck pulled up from our uh, village mechanic. And Machida-san was uh, in the, the passenger seat, and our village mechanic was driving. And he, they attached the ropes, or they attached the, the um, tow thing to both sides of the car. They lifted it out of the ditch and got me back on the road. I was like, man, what do I owe you? And, uh, and the, the mechanic's like, oh, no, no. My son like English class. It's like... Sweetheart, you're, you're a nice guy, 10.30 at night. It's very, very kind of you. Uh, we brought donuts to him uh, the next day just as a token. Um, but ever since that time, that moment, I have been very, very sensitive to the danger of getting stuck. Um, and stuck not just in, in the car terms, but stuck in, in every part of life. And one of the things that we've noticed over this lockdown is that we've all been stuck and I worry that not only are we stuck, we're stuck in such a way that it's not just we're kind of waiting for, I don't know what we're waiting for until we know that you know, we can go back to the way things were. Um, 
it's not just that, but also because we you know, had plans or we were going along and we saw what the world was going to bring us and we had our notions of what we were going to do, uh, now that's all been put on, on hold. It's been put on pause. And we're stuck not just in our, for some of us, our business lives, um, our, our children's schooling lives, not just in that, but also, you know, kind of scarily, in our spiritual lives. One person didn't get stuck even though he was locked down. And so today we're going to look at how to get unstuck spiritually and the other parts of our lives. So join me. This is uh, my translation of Philippians 3, uh, 13 to 17. Beloved, I don't think even I've gotten there. But here's the thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, t- on toward the goal, to the prize of the upward calling of God and Messiah Jesus. So those of us who are spiritually mature should share this worldview. And if any one of you is seeing the world differently, this too God will reveal to you. And whatever level of maturity we've reached, act like it. Make yourselves my imitators, brothers and sisters, and watch those living this way. You have us as examples. If we're stuck, look at what Paul says. The first thing he says is he says, stop looking back. We talked a little bit about this last week, but you notice that any time in your life when you're uh, you know, satisfied, everything's good, right? You're just kind of in the middle of things. When things are bad, you're kind of looking at your situation and being like, why is it that I'm here? Why did, why did I end up like this? Any of you uh, see that movie, Up? Um, it's a Pixar movie. Maybe my all-time p- favorite uh, Pixar movie. It's the story of uh, Carl. And the movie starts out with Carl and Ellie as kids. And they become friends. And just a fi- like a five-minute segment where we see them become friends. We see them grow up and fall in love. We see them learn that they're never going to have kids. We see them get old. And then we see Ellie die. And then we see Carl stuck. For the rest of the film, these amazing things happen. Amazing things. He, he, he gets a house that can fly with balloons. He goes to South America. He meets a talking dog. He becomes friends with uh, an, a, a like Cub Scout, Russell, who's in desperate need of a father. He discovers a, a, a brand new species of dinosaur. And the whole time, Carl's miserable. He's living this amazing adventure, but he's, he's stuck. He's stuck in the past. All he can think about is Ellie. And in the pivotal moment of the film, he is looking at an old... Uh, scrapbook that Ellie and he had made when she was still alive. And he goes to the very end where she scrawled one last message to him. And it says, thanks for the adventure. Now go find a new one. I think maybe for a lot of us, um, wherever we are spiritually, we've, we've been there for a long time. And maybe we were on the path. Maybe we had a very clear sense 
of where God was taking us and what was going on. And then, bam, COVID hit. Bam, George Floyd. And now we're kind of in this odd sort of neutral, waiting for something to change. And, and we, maybe we've missed, maybe we've lost a piece of what that, that mission was, what that growth was going to be. And we're sitting here and we're like, instead of focusing on what new opportunities, what new adventures God has for us, we're looking back or we're looking down and we're saying, how did we get here? What went wrong? Well, Paul, his, his whole thing is, you can't change the past. What's done is done. You're in the tent of meeting outside on Sunday morning sweating. That's, that's, that's a done deal. The question is not how did you get here or how uncomfortable this is or why did this happen or what, if we could just go back and change this. That's not the issue. The issue is what's next? What does God have now? What's the next thing? Around? What, what, part, what part of your life is God ready to smash? Maybe... This is an opportunity. First thing in your note sheets is the, un, the unstuck are always aimed ahead. Aimed ahead. Stop worrying about how we got here. Stop worrying about the failures of the past. Stop worrying about what we're doing. Instead, look forward to the new adventure. The new thing God has for you. Going back to the, oh, uh, which brings up a question. What's the question? I don't know. There, do I have a clear sense of God's calling on my life? I, I, and, I, and I'm not just yelling at you. I'm yelling at me, okay? Um, I, I, before COVID happened and before, whatever I was thinking in early to mid-March, it's radically different than things I'm thinking now. And honestly, I don't even remember what I was thinking in March because that whole part of life has been erased from my brain as I've been focused on, but I'm very, I'll be very honest with you. I've been so focused, so like intent on like, how are we going to, are we going to be able to have amplification outdoors? Yes, we can. Uh, just a moment there to say thanks so much uh, to Jeff uh, Stora. Is Kevin here? Kevin came today and he helped out. Um, and not only that, but like, you know, Nate and uh, Marilyn and, and uh, the Walkers, Trent, um, Christian, Sierra. Christian was here at 5 a.m.? That's horrible. Uh, my mother, Josh, um, so many people. Oh, Mike Harrison. I saw the Schmalhoffers. I saw uh, Shannon. So many people have been coming to make this happen. And I, I'm telling you, like, we are so... So indebted um, to your service and your help, and, and I just want to say thank you. But man, I've been like looking down, and I and I and I've forgotten that God's calling us to something new. There's a new opportunity. There's new. There's something new for us to go after. Something that's compatible with our lockdown. Something that's going to shape us and change us in our individual lives and in our corporate life as a church. And so there's a question: Do you have a clear sense of that calling? I don't. And if you do, let me know. Because we need to, we need to be not, not stagnating, not stuck spiritually, moving forward, missional, aimed at you know, fresh breaks with the past, aimed at new vistas for God to, to take us. That's what we need. 
So first thing, aimed ahead. How else are they unstuck? How else do we get unstuck? So those of us who are spiritually mature should share this worldview. And if any one of you is seeing the world differently, this too God will reveal to you. Whatever level of maturity we've reached, act like it. I've uh, taken some liberties uh, with the Greek here because it's very difficult to get it into English in a, in a compelling way. Um, but you, the first thing you'll notice is the word worldview. Obviously, there's no Greek word for worldview. Worldview was a word in, in English invented in the late 90s, early 2000s to describe kind of how we operate in the world, what we believe is true and how we act because of it. Okay, and that captures a lot of um, phrenesis or phreneo, which is what Paul is, is using there in the Greek. And it's because Paul's looking and he's saying, the, the way life works, right, is you might think of it, he's thinking of like a race or maybe climbing a mountain, something like that. At the very top is uh, the life that we'll live in heaven with Jesus once he's returned and gathered his church. And that life is glorious, it's peaceful, it's joyful, it's loving, it's perfect in every possible way. That's the apex and, and as we live our life, we're, ideally, we're trying to move towards that. And, and the way we do that is we live a life that's based on faith. We trust over and over and over again. We, um, we make mistakes. We, we forgive each other. We repent. All of those things that we do as we're kind of approaching that sort of life, uh, the, the farther we go, the more we know what God's like, know who God is, what Jesus is like, what his love and redemption looks like, and the more we live and act like. It's kind of this, you know, kind of climbing up to get to this, this high point. And, and Paul says for the people who are spiritually mature, the ones who've been doing it for a long time and been focused, they're a lot closer to that apex than people who maybe just started. Like maybe you're just kind of into, into faith a little bit, but not, not exactly sure what to make of it all. Then you might not have that same perspective. And Paul says, well, if you don't, that's okay. It's going to come. Wait for it. God's going to reveal it to you. But then he says, wherever you are, on this path, right? You need to act in accordance with where you are on the path, okay? However close you are to, to having complete and total trust in Christ, uh, joy and suffering as Paul does, and wherever, however far or near you are to that, act appropriately. And the, the Greek there is odd. It's, it's sort of like, it's like, however far you've come, uh, stay in line, and it's, it's, it's choppy. It's, a, it's an idiom. Well. What are we going to make of that? What should we do with that? Next slide. This is uh, John Wooden. It's a great quote. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. For those of you who don't know John Wooden, uh, famous UCLA basketball coach, I want to say the winningest coach in NCAA history. In fact, I think he actually won seven championships in a row. I'm sorry? It's nine. Nine championships. And, and, the, and the closest that anyone's come since is four or something like that. I mean, legendary coach. Didn't hurt that he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, who's seven foot two. But, but still, still, I mean, Kareem wasn't there all the time. One of the things that uh, John Wooden was renowned for was caring about his players' maturation as human beings. 
right? He, he didn't just, he, he was like, look, I want to win championships. I'm a competitor. That's what I do. But what I really want is I want to see you become who, in his mind, God's called you to be because he was a Christian. And what that meant was that the expectation for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was much different than the expectation for Bill Walton, okay? Because Kareem and Bill were different guys, or uh, I guess it was Al Sindor at the time, right? Um, they, they were very different people. They had different strengths, different abilities. There was a natural ability that Kareem had that maybe Bill was, was different, had a different uh, way of going about things. But, but both of them, where they were in life, John wouldn't want to see them take the next step. And every person on his team, he didn't come to everyone on the team and be like, I want to turn you into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's impossible, right? You can't turn someone who's 5'10 into someone who's 7'2". Nevertheless, every person, if there, there's an honest assessment of their capabilities, their skills, their possibilities, and what Wooden's goal was, was to encourage them to take that next step, to become that next level of player, that next level of really human being. And this is exactly the same thing Paul's saying. It's no different than, sometimes I, I like to yell at Alice, I say, Alice, why don't you, she's eight, why don't you act like a 22-year-old and show some responsibility? She goes, Daddy, I'm eight. I'm like, well, that... <laughs> Seriously. Now, now, that I, now that I've got them, like, they can do most of the chores. Like, I'm sitting there on the couch being like, clean up. Go do the laundry. <laughs> it's really, the rebellion's going to be horrible. She's definitely going to fall in love with a scumbag. Um, shut your mouth, dude. If, why don't you go... <sighs> really, of course, he's in the front. Dork. Um, but, really, but, but Alice knows I'm joking. She knows that what I really want is I want her to take that next step. Right? Be just a little more attentive. Be a little more responsible. Be a little more... Go to... Act your age, Alice. I'm not expecting you to be 22. That's a joke. But I am expecting you to move, to live into everything that being an 8-year-old is. And I certainly don't want you to act like a 3-year-old. Cut the baby talk out. It has got to be the most annoying thing I've ever heard. Drives me insane. Act your age. Be challenged to move to the next level, but at the same time, don't be complacent and, and, and just live down to where you used to be. And there's no difference in our spiritual lives. I am telling you, lockdown has made me more complacent. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it is, and maybe you've experienced something like this. But like, I, I just, where's the motivation? What's the point? And there's this sense of like, well, just, you know, just stagnate, I guess, until things are different. The next thing in your note sheet is the unstuck act their age. Paul says, act like what you are. If, if you're in a place in your life where you're not yet ready to give all of your faith over, all of your trust on, into, into the Lord for what it, whatever it is that is, is in your life, that's okay. You may not be at that level of maturity yet. But God is probably prompting you to take one step, 
one step forward into faith, one step forward. Maybe you're, uh, you've got a lot of head knowledge. You've been in the church for a long time. You know everything there is to know about the Bible and theology and everything else. And, but you, you've never really, you don't really have any, any personal experience or, or feelings of, of intimacy or, or emotional connection to God, Jesus. Well, maybe you should try. Maybe you should take a little step forward in faith. Or maybe you're the sort of person who likes to just, you know, you're ready to burst out into tongues every single time we sing. And it's you and Jesus, and Jesus is your button, and that's cool. Maybe it's time to grow just a little bit. Just take a little step. Maybe you're the sort of person who's super, super pain, suffering averse. Well, maybe God has called you into a little bit of pain and a little bit of suffering to grow you. Well, act your age. Don't try to be like super Jesus, Christian, man, woman, whatever. Just wherever you are, take that next little look. Act your age. Don't be immature. Don't reach for something that's beyond you. But but ask God to take you into that next moment, that next step in his calling on your life. Which brings up a question. Are you spiritually challenged? And, and if so, is it, is it something that causes despair? I, I know a lot of people who are very serious about their faith who um, they can't get past this, this one thing. Maybe there's some sin in their life that, some sin, something that you know God's not happy about. But no matter how hard you try, you just can't beat it. You can't lick it. You know that you're supposed to be, you know, driven by the Spirit, whatever. You know that you're supposed to have this power, but it just, it just, it, it, it gets you down. Well, you know what? Don't try to be perfect. Live into the next step of faith. Maybe just a little bit here, a little bit there. God will grant Strength. He will grant mercy. But don't get to a place where you're like, well, I can never be that, so I quit. At the same time, don't wallow. And like I said, I'm not just yelling at you, I'm yelling at me. I could just relax, ride it out. But Paul's saying, don't you see, Tom, Coast, one day you're going to be living this life. Why not now? Why not get a head start on that joy, on that peace, on that love? Why not start and, and, and get a taste of redemption and forgiveness, a taste of victory, of life, of running out of that grave, as the song said this morning? Why wait? Is it really going that great for you, the way things are? All ends. Oh. There's wind. Wind is real. 
Yeah, if you're wondering, uh, this is not my translation of the Bible. This is the New King James, and I put my translation into it for the sake of appearances, which is odd, but that's what we do. Okay. He ends, he says, make yourselves my imitators. I've italicized that because in the Greek, that's the first word. It's uh, being emphasized in Greek, which is sort of like italics in English. So he's like, uh, he's like my I- imitators of me. Make yourselves, brothers and sisters. Watch those living this way. You have us as examples. I have a picture here from the, ninth, or the 17th century of... Uh, a Dutch rat catcher. Uh, it's, I don't know if you can see it. It's black and white, but uh, this was a big deal, you know, in the kind of enlightenment period because they were trying to clean things up. And uh, they wanted to get rid of refuse, and they, f- they noticed that wherever rats are, plague is sure to follow. And so they employed people to get rid of rodents, which we do too. But in the medieval to enlightenment world, the way that you became a rat catcher was not like you woke up one day and said, I'm going to get me some rats. Instead, your loving parents who wanted a really great career for you put you into the hands of a master rat catcher as an apprentice. And that's what that kid is. That kid is a 10-year-old boy who's been apprenticed to become a rat catcher for the rest of his life. Wow. Uh, I'm so glad that we don't do that anymore. Well, because we're allowed to choose our, our own, you know, careers. Like we follow our hearts, right? That's what we're supposed to do, even though that typically doesn't work. Um, but in that world, in that world, uh, in that world, you were forced into a certain, you know, profession. And and that little kid there, he's there are things that he's learning from the master rat catcher, and there's things he's not. Some of the stuff he's not learning are like things like genteel manners, how to be polite. He's not learning how to dress well. Notice that the rat catcher has like uh, rats like crawling all over him. <laughs> um, he's not learning how to bathe or be, uh, you know, hi- practice good hygiene. He's there for one thing. And that's to get rats. Likewise, Paul's looking and he's like, look guys, I, no offense here, but compared to a lot of you, I'm a little farther down on the path. Okay, I'm a little higher up on the mountain, a little closer to where I want to be. And maybe that's in, the a- in an area of like, you know, theological understanding. Maybe that's in the, a- uh, the area of having joy while suffering. Maybe that's in the area of, of being able to um, have a very close and personal relationship uh, with Jesus. Paul even says uh, at one point, Jesus who loves me. He has a very strong sense of that. Um, but whatever it is, that, Paul's looking back and he's like, look, let's just be honest here. I'm a little bit of the master here, and, and what, what you guys need is you need to follow me. Do what I do. If you want to be really strong in whatever element of your spirituality is weak, then take a page from someone who's been there. See, the first step is to stop being complacent. The second step is to say, okay, what I really want, God, is this. 
This is the part of my spirituality that's lacking. This is the part of my life that's just wrecked. This is the part that I know I, you need to prune me or change me. Whatever. I'm not sure what, that this is the spot. Well, that's great. You've come to, you've had your come to Jesus moment, your moment of clarity. That's a beautiful moment. But then how, what's the next step? Well, the next step Paul's saying is like, find someone who's pulled it off. See what they do. It's funny, uh, in, the, in the translation here, I say, watch those who, um, watch those who live, or watch those living this way. Well, uh, I originally had scope out those living this way because uh, the Greek word is skopeo, it's where we get our word scope. And it really is very much like a kind of focus in or examine, right? So Paul's literally saying, he's like, he's like look at people, you know, in your congregation, Philippi, that are sort of like me, that have followed me. Look at the way they're living. Does it seem like they're more joyful than you? Does it seem like they're able to handle adversity better than you? Does it seem like they're more forgiving, more humble than you? Does it seem like they're less self-interested than you? Does it seem like they have the, all the fruits of the Spirit that I've been talking about? If it does, figure out what they're doing and you do it too. This isn't everything in life. You don't have to, you know, eat the, you don't have to go gluten-free. That's not, I mean, maybe you do. I probably should. But, I mean, that, that might be part of it, but, but, it might, but it might not. It's not everything in their life that, that you, but, but boy, wouldn't it be cool to, to be less angry all the time? Wow! Wouldn't it be cool to be, I don't know, less judgmental? Wouldn't it be cool to be, you know, stronger in what you believe? To know why you believe it and stick to your guns? Wouldn't it be cool to be quick to forgive and to let go? Then do what they do. Figure out the secret that they've got in their lives by copying them. The great thing about being a rat catcher is once the tenure, you, you were an apprentice for about seven years in uh, the medieval world, and then at the end of those seven years, uh, you would be, able, be expected to be as good or better than the master at whatever. You're, so presumably, seven years from now, when this kid's 17, he's going to be a better rat catcher than, than that, that dude. They said seven years to learn a trade. I don't know how long it's going to take you to do X, Y, or Z, but we do have strong indication from the neurosciences and from behavior uh, modification specialists suggesting that the power of habit is extremely powerful, and it takes usually two years minimum of adopting a behavior before it becomes second nature. And, and, it's, and it's worse the older you get because your neural pathways are in deeper ruts, and it takes longer to get out of them. Right, So, we're not saying that this is going to be an overnight deal. And that's why, if you really want to be unstuck, if you want to get out of the, the stickiness, that you want to get out of the road, you want to get AAA on your side, you've got to always be apprenticed. And that's the last thing in your note sheet. Always apprenticed. There's no time in your life where you shouldn't be apprenticed to somebody or something. And again, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me. I'm yelling at us. 
Because I don't think I've got anybody in my life right now where I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm like, I'm really imitating that person's on this. I'm just kind of cruise control. And that brings up a question. Is there anyone in my life that I imitate? On anything? Do I have someone I imitate? An even more dangerous and frightening question, is anybody imitating me? It doesn't matter. So if you're, you know, we're climbing the mountain, right? Paul's up here. Paul, by the way, the person that he imitated was Jesus. He even says that's why he goes, I mean, he gets beat up and kicked and, and he suffers. He believes that his suffering is getting him closer to being like Jesus. Okay, so Paul's up there with Jesus. Let's not jump into that yet because I don't want anyone here to engage in like dangerous behavior. But, but so Paul's up here. So he's looking down. He's apprenticed to Jesus and he's looking down the Philippians and saying, you should be apprenticed to me. Get to where I'm at. Where I'm at. It doesn't matter where you are on this mountain. There should be somebody below you. There should be somebody in your life where you're like kind of, hey, I'm not perfect, but we could work on this, and I would love to be a part of that with you. This doesn't have to be a super formal thing. It doesn't have to be like, I mean, it can be. I know some people who do like discipleship, they like sit down, they're going to hang out for an hour a week or whatever, and that works, that's wonderful. Um, or people join a, a study together, or people join um, in a, a time of prayer together regularly. Those are all great ways to... to you know, institute this in your life. But it doesn't have to be that. It can just, it can just be getting to know someone and, and showing them your life and living life with them and, and have them come along, come alongside you and follow you, climb up a little bit. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at us. There have been people who've come to me and they're like, do you do any like discipling? I'm like, not really. But if you want to hang out, I'm cool with that. Good, Tom, that's solid. Way to go. Way to really encourage growth amongst people. I worry, friends, I worry that we're... Well, I know I'm stuck. And maybe you are too. You're on the side of the freeway, and the cars are passing you this way and that way, and there's smoke coming out of your spiritual car. And you need AAA. Aimed ahead, act your age, always apprenticed. AAA. In all seriousness, though, um, this is a tough time for the church, and I know that. But be encouraged. I mean, the fact that we're here, the fact that we are moving forward, the fact that we're like thinking now about not how to survive, but how to thrive, that we're, that we're saying, okay, Lord, what's next for us? Well, all right, let's be aimed ahead. Let's act our age. Let's get to that next step, you know? Let's find people in our life that we can imitate and find people we can bring along. And let's do it together. Let's get unstuck. Gracious God and Father, we are so blessed to be your kids. 
We're blessed to have um, Jesus as our author and finisher of our faith. We're blessed to have um, these brothers and sisters amongst us to carry us and to draw us forward. And Lord, for every heart here that, that is feeling spiritually stuck, God, I pray a special movement of your spirit to, to aim high, to get back to, to climbing, not going beyond what we're able, but simply trusting you for that next step of growth, that next step of intimacy, the next step of life, the next step of faith, that we'll be aimed ahead, acting our age, always apprenticed and apprenticing others. As we pass the faith down, keep the faith pure, and look forward to your glorious return. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.